really, really sorry that uh, can't be with you uh, this morning. I'm recording this uh, from my parents' bedroom in Stonygate, Leicester. Um, and that's something I never anticipated saying uh, in my 50s. Uh, but it is what it is. Uh, genuinely sorry uh, that you're having to watch me on the screen uh, rather than to listen to me uh, in person. Um, myself, Louise, and our youngest daughter, Grace, moved to South Africa in 2009. Um, and I had a bucket list of three people that I really wanted to meet in person if the opportunity arose. One of them was a footballer, a South African footballer called Lucas Rodebi, who'd had 10 really successful years at, at Leeds United. And I did get to meet him uh, on a couple of occasions. The other one won't surprise you. It was uh, Nelson Mandela, uh, the first president of uh, a democratic uh, South Africa, a man whose who's, um, contribution, not just to South Africa, but to the world, probably don't lead to little uh, introduction. Uh, sadly, I never got to meet the great man, uh, but I did get to meet the other one on my bucket list, and that was Archbishop Desmond Tutu. It was 2011. Louise, my wife, was working for a, a medical organisation uh, that had close contacts with Desmond Tutu, and he invited um, uh, her and colleagues to a communion, Friday morning communion at St George's Cathedral. Uh, and I went along with Louise and uh, as guests, we were introducing ourselves. Louise introduced herself and I was getting ready to stand up just to quickly introduce myself and basically say, I'm Bruce and I'm with her. She's the important one. But I never got the chance because as I stood up, Desmond Tutu went, and I want to introduce you all to my very good friend. I'm going, we've never met before. I was thinking, well, maybe he's heard about the incredible contribution I made to the struggle against apartheid. Like that time I made a huge sacrifice, huge sacrifice of ink to sign a petition to get Nelson Mandela freed. Or maybe it's the time I, I, I sacrificed the opportunity to have a, a lovely, golden, delicious South African apple because we weren't supposed to uh, eat them at the time as part of the, 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 the boycott um, against apartheid South Africa. Maybe you've heard of those huge sacrifices, but he proceeded to say, here's my good friend, all the way from Hollywood, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, apparently, he thought I looked a bit like uh, Arnie. Um, the best I could do in response was to say, and you look a lot like Desmond Tutu, which was a really poor uh, riposte and one which uh, embarrasses me uh, to this day. But Desmond Tutu is actually everything in person you would have expected. He was small in stature, but giant of heart and conviction, a man who looked to the Leviathan of the demonic apartheid system in the in the face and proclaimed its death uh, to the world. He understood that the trajectory of history was towards racial reconciliation and racial justice. And that's what I want to, to really speak about uh, this morning. Now, many people see uh, issues around race as primarily political issues. Some people see them as primarily social issues. And sadly, increasingly, people are designating them as culture war issues but actually for us it's a gospel issue we're part of a, a small church in one of the poorer communities in cape town that that is incredibly diverse ethnically we have uh, people of mixed heritage from the cape called cape coloreds we have people from we have courses who are uh, uh, nelson mandela's background we have zulus we have people from uh, the drc uh, we have people from malawi from rwanda uh, and we could we could go on and on. 
And uh, we, we believe that that's actually part of God's design for his people in a community and in a nation that is often divided by ethnicity. We as the people of God are called to be something different. And we decided as a, as a church, we would call ourselves a fruit salad church. See, often when the nations, when different ethnicities come together, people talk about a melting pot. But the problem with the melting pot is everything loses its distinctiveness. Everything gets kind of mushed in together and into some kind of oneness where there's no diversity. And that definitely isn't uh, God's plan. So some of our people are strawberries. A strawberry doesn't stop being a strawberry when it's put in the fruit salad. Some of our people are oranges. An orange doesn't stop being an orange when it goes into a, a fruit salad. A grape is still a grape. Uh, a banana is still a banana. We have this beautiful diversity. And we say at Capricorn Community Church, whatever fruit you are, God wants us uh, to come together in one bowl, rich diversity but united creating great flavor and great community we don't want to be color blind we want to be a people who are colored blessed um, but why does that all matter what's this got to do with the gospel well in paul's letter to the ephesians uh, chapter 11 and onwards he writes this to a very diverse community in the city of ephesus therefore Remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. So he's already talking here about ethnicity. You know, the Gentiles are all the other ethnic groups that aren't Jewish. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So hear that. If you're in Christ, if you put your saving faith in him, whatever your ethnicity, whatever your background, you have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. In other words, we're all spiritual refugees, but we've been given citizenship through Christ into his household, into his kingdom. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, Ephesians chapter two is all about reconciliation. And you'll notice that uh, verse 11 starts with the word in English, therefore. Well, the therefore is preceded by a before. In fact, wherever there's a therefore, there's a before. And the before is the first 10 verses. In fact, the first 10 verses shouldn't really be separated from what follows. And in those first 10 verses, Paul pulls us into the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. He highlights the wonderful implications of the good news. And the good news is that we have been reconciled with God. 
but actually has to start with the bad news, which really lends itself to a very bad pastor joke at this point. Uh, there was a man who had been suffering with his health and he goes to have some tests and the test results come back and he goes to see uh, his GP who says, well, do you want the good news or the bad news about your test results? And the man says, well, I have the good news first. Well, the good news, says the GP, is that you've got 24 hours to live. The man said, well, if that's the good news, what's the bad news? And the GP said, well, the bad news is I should have told you 24 hours ago. Um, there's bad news here. And the bad news is that, 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 that we are sinners. Got, Paul has to face us with, with the ugliness of our sin in, in order for us to see the beauty of the gospel. We can never appreciate the beauty of the gospel if we don't have a healthy perspective of the sin we're saved from. You see, sin isn't just our issues. It's not just our childhood trauma. It's more than our mistakes. These things might explain me, uh, but they can never excuse me. And, and Paul says, as a consequence of our sin, we are objects of God's anger, of God's wrath. Now, some of you right now are sitting there going, well, hold on a minute. I thought God was loving. You know, how can he be angry? You know, how, how is it possible to be angry and loving at the same time? Well, if you're not sure how that's possible, then maybe go and ask a parent. Parents will tell you it's possible to be angry and love your kids at the same time. You, you see, God... God can't be indifferent to our sin because if he's indifferent to our sin, which not only separates us from the relationship we were made to have with him, but actually separates us from one another. It spoils the world in which we live. If God was indifferent to that, it would actually mean that God was not love because God doesn't care. And so so the consequence of our sin is that we're objects of God's wrath. But the good news is we're saved by grace, he goes on to say. Uh, and, and I love what he says in, in verse uh, four. He says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, but Jesus, but God, you know, years of addiction to porn or to drugs, to alcohol, to gambling, to sex, but God, enslaved to greed, gossip, deceit, but God, you see, God's mercy, Paul wants us to know, is bigger than our mess. By grace, he says, you have been saved. We're not saved by our good works. We're not saved by our religious or moral performance. Reconciliation with God is not something to be achieved. It's something to be received. It's not merit-based it's Messiah based. It's not based on my performance. It's based on the perfect performance of Jesus on the cross. That means none of us can boast. I know I can't boast. When, 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 when Jesus found me, I wasn't even looking. Um, you know, I was, I was deeply depressed following illness. I, I was contemplating suicide. I thought I had no future and I was angry with a God I didn't even believe in anymore. And yet in his mercy and his grace, he found me. You see, it's all grace. You know, your church won't, church going won't save you. Your morality can't save you. Your evangelism won't save you. Your caring for the poor won't save you. Your education won't save you. Your bank balance can't save you. Only the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, can save you. And that's what Paul is reminding of us of in these first 10 verses, uh, the vertical dimension of the gospel, the fact that we are reconciled 
with God. Now, at this point, a lot of people would say happily, uh, stop me here and say, thank you, Bruce. You've briefly summarized and proclaimed the good news of Jesus Christ. But Paul hasn't finished yet. Um, you see, he wants us to know that God hasn't just forgiven our sin. He hasn't just reconciled us with him as a father. He wants us to know that he's placed us in a family. And this family is not homogenous. This is a family of all nations. This is a family of all ethnicities. This is a family of, 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 of different colours. Um, our diversity and our, our, our ethnicity are not now our ultimate identity. They're not unimportant, but they're now not our ultimate identity. But neither are they a, an accident. And so Paul wants us to move now from, from the vertical dimension of what the gospel has achieved to the horizontal dimension. The reality is that in God's family, we're not just reconciled with our Heavenly Father, we're reconciled with one another. Uh, one flows into the other. In fact, you can't have one without the other. The great commandment is love God, that's vertical. The great, the great commandment is also love others, that is horizontal. They're not separate commands. In fact, if you were to ask Paul, you were to ask Jesus, is the gospel vertical or is it horizontal? They would say yes, both. In fact, John would agree in his first letter, he says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have seen. So the remainder of of this chapter, the verses that I read, focuses on the horizontal. We're reconciled with one another, Paul wants us to know, in a multi-ethnic global family. We're reconciled new creations in a reconciled new community. And the reconciling power of the, the cross shaped Paul's missionary strategy. Many people know Romans 1 uh, verse 16 and it's often used to encourage us to evangelize to share our faith uh, and in it Paul writes I am not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of the God for the salvation of everyone who believes and for that we want to say yes and amen but then he says first for the Jew and then for the Gentile in this we get a very strong hint of his missionary strategy and I want you to understand that these are the words of a man who was once a Jewish nationalist. He was he was a, a he, he, he was a man who would have prayed, thank God I'm not a Gentile. Thank God I'm not a slave. Thank God I'm not a woman. You know, the, he, he wasn't just a racist. He was also a misogynist. And yet this racist becomes a racist and a, a gracist, should I say, and starts planting gospel-centered, counter-cultural, multi-ethnic communities, slap bang in the middle of the Roman Empire. You see, what would have happened is when he wrote, wrote, uh, arrived in great cities like Ephesus, which was one of the great four cities of the ancient world, it was a very diverse community. And the first thing he would do was go to the Jews. He'd go to the Jews and he'd want to unroll the scroll and actually show how Jesus was the fulfillment of what they were reading. And then having found the Jews in Ephesus, he'd then go to the Gentiles and tell them in, in different ways the same, the same message. And now he has a problem because some of the Jews surrender to Christ and some of the Gentiles surrender to Christ. And now he has a problem because these groups of people hate each other. And so the easiest thing for Paul to have done would have been to start a church for, for Jews and then start 
churches for, for all the different Gentile groups. You know, the Scythians over here and the non-Greek speakers here and the Greeks here and the Romans here. Start different churches, but Paul doesn't because Paul can't. You see, Paul understood you can't have separate churches because we don't have a separate saviour. As he goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 4, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And Paul explains in Ephesians 2 why this is so vital and so central to the gospel. As he says in verse 14, the cross of Christ has demolished the dividing wall of hostility. Now, if you went to the, the temple <coughs> in Jesus's day, you'd have seen that there were four courts, each divided by a wall. There was the court of the Gentiles. Actually, it's interesting. It was the outer court furthest away from the Holy of Holies. And this is the place where Jesus turns the tables over. And you might remember he quotes Jeremiah and he says, you, you've, you've turned my father's house into a den of thieves when it's supposed to be a house of prayer. What for? For the nations. You see, the temple was a, a sign and a symbol of, of God inviting the nations into his presence. So you had the court of the Gentiles and actually part of Jesus's overturning the tables is more than, a, than him upturning uh, uh, um, prophetically uh, announcing that there shouldn't be a commercialized space. It has a lot more to do with the fact that these barriers were there and 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 the Jews had failed to be uh, a light to the nations. And then there was the court of the women, the court of the Israelites, and there was the court of the priests, and then the Holy of Holies. And what Paul is saying is so powerful. He's saying on the cross, the things that our sin has done to divide us have been bulldozed right down. Yeah, our ethnic hostility has been smashed by the victory that Jesus won on the cross. But it's with deep lament that we have to confess that we've so often denied the power of the cross and we've erected new walls. I know that's that's true in our history, the history of, of slavery, the history of colonialism has set up racial hierarchies that are never part of God's will and God's plan. In South Africa, we, we have seen that uh, most uh, most erroneously uh, lived out with the separation of ethnicities and its hierarchies and the racial oppressions that people of colour have experienced. In fact, people sometimes say, well, South Africa at least has always had freedom of religion, regardless of its problems. Well, actually, before the end of apartheid, it never really had freedom of religion because you could preach verses 1 to 10, but you couldn't preach and live out verses 11 to 22 and actually many parts of the church were complicit with supporting the secular state's view of the world rather than God's kingdom uh, view of the world had they had done that they would have been persecuted for their faith for living it out as a reconciled people um, but we can get closer to home when the Windrush generation arrived in this country they, they many of them arrived with three things they arrived with a suitcase in one hand a bible in the other and jesus in their hearts and they faced incredible hostility and prejudice in society um and they should have found a place of safety in the church and it was great regret and remorse we have to say that the same hostility many of our brothers and sisters from the caribbean uh, faced in the street 
they confronted in the church too. We have black churches in the UK today because white Christians failed to be the church. And we still have much work to do. I hear many of my black friends in South Africa, but even some in the UK say this, that our churches want diversity, but they want diversity on the cheap. They want black faces, but do they really want black voices? Do they want us to be heard and do they want us to be contributed? Um, so these are vital dimensions for us as Christians. We've been reconciled horizontally, but we, sorry, vertically, but we've also been reconciled horizontally. So how have we attempted to live this out? Uh, well, one of the things I've found really helpful is the idea of the Ark of Reconciliation, which uh, an American pastor, Jamar Tisby, devised. The, the first one is A, awareness, just being a, a, aware of, of, of different voices, I've started to to read more widely. I'm very thankful for for the white men that I've read in the past, like John Stott and uh, and Tim Keller and others who have helped shape my my journey and my walk with the Lord. But actually, starting to read and listen to to to, to voices, uh, to art, to to culture that is different from my own expression. Second thing that's been really important for us is is relationship not just awareness but relationship when we moved to Cape Town we knew that God didn't want to just serve people of color and then live separately from them we didn't want to live in a, a silo where we'd work on programs for or with people of color but we, we, we recognized we needed to share life with um, and that became really evident um, at Louise's 50th birthday uh, a few years ago um, because not by design but simply out of the fact that we had lived intentionally this way, the people at her birthday were multi-generational and they were multi-ethnic. At the end of the evening, a, a retired white pastor, well-known in the city, who'd accepted the invitation to come to Louise, drew me apart, lived in South Africa all his life, now in his late 60s, and he just said to me, Bruce, this is so rare. This is a picture of God's kingdom. And I don't say that to, to blow our own trumpet, but I say say this because actually it made me sad it made me sad that what should be the testimony and witness of the church what should be a visible sign of the reconciling power of the gospel was considered unusual and rare rather than something that should be normal and it's in the context of proximity and trust built over time built over the dining table built over sharing our homes and lives that stories get shared struggles get heard and we get fresh perspective and fresh understanding. So awareness and relationship, and then finally commitment. Commitment to all of the above, but actually commitment to justice. David Swanson, a pastor in the US says, we have to move from cheap racial diversity to true racial solidarity. Recently, uh, just outside of Cape Town, in the town uh, where the football club that I am chaplain to is based, we had a terrible incident at the, the, the major university there. It's a town with a terrible history of racism. And a white student had gone into a black student's uh, room in the middle of the night using racial um, expletives and had then urinated on this black student's uh, laptop um, and on his belongings. And this made the news and it then transpired that actually similar incidents had happened before um, and the, the university had not acted decisively. The next day I'm talking to our 
goalkeeper who's from the town of Stellenbosch. He's a, a cape coloured. And I asked him how he felt and he said he was deeply hurt because it just reminded him of the ongoing issue we're still living with in South Africa. But he said what made him even more angry than the incident itself was the fact that when students gathered for a peaceful vigil at the administrative offices of the university, the majority of people present were people of colour. And his question was, where were the white students? And you might say, well, maybe the white students are in the minority. No, they're not. Actually, at Stellenbosch University, they're in the majority and many of them are Christians. And yet they were absent. They were absent in coming alongside their brothers and sisters and saying, this is wrong. Um, you know, people should not face these kind of issues based on the colour of their skin. Where were the white students? That got me thinking, where's the church when it comes to issues of justice uh, and, and issues of race? Um, a few weeks ago, I conducted a wedding in Johannesburg and um, uh, in the morning I caught up with one of the athletes that I uh, disciple. Her name's Rickonette Steenkamp. She's South Africa's 100 metre uh, hurdle record holder. She won the World Cup at the London Olympic Stadium in 2010. And I caught up with her and her boyfriend, young Chris. Uh, they're both Afrikaners. Um, and them going on a journey themselves where they're getting out of their Afrikaner silo and beginning to, to have fellowship and share life across ethnicities and cross cultures. And it's enriching their faith, it's challenging them, and they're hearing stories and it life experiences they never would have heard of. And it's giving them compassion. It's bringing them to a new space in their Christian journey. And Ricky asked me she something. She said, how do I know that I would have been different if I was around in the 1950s or 60s or 70s or 80s when apartheid was its high and people from my culture were doing their worst? And my answer to that is simple. Do you want to know where you would have stood in the days of slavery? Do you want to know where you would have stood in the days of the civil rights movement in America? Do you want to know where you would have stood in the days of apartheid? Do you want to know where you would have stood and how you would have responded when the Windrush generation arrived? Look at where you're standing now. Look at where you're standing now. People will often say, I wouldn't have been like that now. But what are the issues of justice today? What are the issues now where we need to act uh, as one as in solidarity with those who are suffering oppression because of the color of their skin or because of their and ethnicity you want to know where you stood then look at where you're standing now so is there hope well i believe there is hope i believe paul offers it here with a vision of the church based on the complete and finished work of jesus that we cannot ignore but actually we also need true holy spirit revival and so I will finish with this. It's the story of William Seymour. William Seymour was the son of slaves. He was born in 1870 in Louisiana in the deep south of the United States. Because of his skin, skin color, he never had access to formal education. He came to Christ and he got a call to be a pastor. And in that time, God gave him a vision, a vision based on scripture of a multi-ethnic church. Anyway, eventually he went to seminary in Texas um, and he couldn't attend class because of segregation. Um, the classroom itself was only for white folks. Only white folks were allowed at desk in class. So he would stand outside, out of sight, 
and listen in to what was being taught. Well, eventually he got a call to lead a tiny church in Los Angeles. And on the day of Pentecost, 1906, he was preaching and the Holy Spirit came in power on this tiny church in Azusa Street. People fell on their knees in repentance and worship. Many started speaking in tongues. There was an amazing supernatural move of God. His future wife, who didn't even play a musical instrument, got up to play uh, the piano and started to play a, a, a perfectly reasonable tune and sang in six different languages that she hadn't learned and there were interpretations. Now you can make of that what you will, but within weeks, this church was exploding with new life. People from all backgrounds, rich, poor, black, white, Hispanic, all started to gather as one reconciled worshiping community. They had to hold three services a day, seven days a week to accommodate what God was doing. You see, the vision that Seymour had seen, he'd longed for, he'd prayed for, was now happening. And many people, when they, they talk about the, uh, uh, the Azusa Street revival, they focus on, on the supernatural and the unusual. And I'm not saying they're not important, but actually, I think it's to miss the great work that God did in that moment. One journalist commenting on what was happening said this, the colour line has been washed away in the blood. How powerful the colour line has been washed away in the blood. It's been wonderful to return to Leicester. Um, I grew up in a city that was changing and becoming more diverse. It's been wonderful to see new faces and different cultures arriving and emerging in our churches. My prayer is we'd see true Holy Spirit revival in our churches, that our churches would become visible signs, not just of the vertical reconciliation that Jesus won on the cross, but of the horizontal too. You can't have one without the other. And my prayer is that you at Church of the Martyrs would become a truly reconciled community. A fruit salad church where our best flavours, the best flavours of our diversity and ethnicity would be a glorious celebration of the goodness of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. God bless you.